Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again! Quick fire, then drives it, don't know, long, we over, oh, what a goal! What a goal! Fletcher! It's Lucius McCulloch, saved again! Barry Ferguson! Does this again, and it's there! On the end, we have come to Jets! The Hamden Road is back, first episode of 2021 and it's the second instalment of our On The Plane series. We'll be discussing what players are pretty much guaranteed a place in the Euros and those that are on the cusp and those that are pretty much out the picture. So we've got Gordon Shiak of the Tartan Scarf and blog and blogger Scotland Supporters Association writer Ben Ramage with me as well. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the squad selection, though, we have a few things to touch on. The Euro 2020 ticket refund process is gathering momentum. It's got to be sorted by the start of next week. There still is a bit of uh, debate about what's actually going to happen with the, the finals this summer. Gordon, you've been keeping on top of that. How do people approach this, or how should people be approaching this? Yeah, well, obviously, the, the first thing to remember is that, you know, everyone has to make up their own decisions on this. I mean, depending on what tickets you've got, depending on how many tickets you've got, you've got you've got, you've got decisions to make, basically. Um, as you alluded to there, Andy, the UEFA have updated their refund process. Um, basically, if you would like now to decide that you don't think the tournament's going to go ahead as planned, or fans won't be in attendance. If you want a full refund now, you have to request that from UEFA by the 26th of January. Um, now, obviously, we've, we've discussed this before, that UEFA have set a deadline of the 5th of March, and that's basically when they're going to decide what the tournament in the summer is going to look like. They've asked every host city to basically come up with uh, what, their, what their plan is for the summer um, as a proposal, and also what their backup plan is. Now, the plans that they're looking at are either 100% capacity attendance, somewhere between 50 and 100%, 33%, or behind closed doors. So basically, cities have to say what what it looks like they want to do or what their backup will be. And come the 5th of March, that situation will be decided. Now, obviously, there's been a little bit, there's been a bit of speculation that's constantly been swirling around this tournament that you know a 12 city tournament with fans traveling during a global pandemic it just doesn't really seem to uh, sound like it's something that can possibly go ahead and um, UEFA have just recently confirmed that if if they decide to move the venues so say for example if you've got tickets for Scotland's games at Hamden they decide to move the tournament to one country say I've seen Russia talked about basically UEFA said if if a match that you've got a ticket for is moved to a venue that's more than 50 kilometers away from the original venue so basically if it's moved city if it's moved country you will get a full refund also if they decide that say 
only 50% capacity can attend. It turns out you're in the unlucky 50% that your tickets are no longer valid for the game because of the capacity um, coming down. Again, you'll get a full refund. So I think, look, as I said at the beginning, everyone has to make their own decisions. You know, if you guys have got tickets, you have to make your own decisions. But I think for me, everyone with tickets has got a golden opportunity. You know, this is the golden opportunity to see Scotland at a major finals for the first time in 20 plus years. You know, I think the refund policy is fair enough that if, if you miss out on going to the game because the, the capacity comes down or if the tournament gets moved, you will get a refund. So as much as I know some people are already requesting refunds because they think there's no chance of the tournament happening as planned, I just think if it was me sitting with tickets, now for, for, for me, it's my friend who's got the tickets, so it's not actually my decision to make. But if it was my tickets, I'd be, I'd be holding on to them. For now, but I don't know what you guys think. Ben, what's your situation and your take on this? Yeah, so we've got tickets for the Croatia game currently. We're <laughs> waiting on getting tickets for the Czech Republic game. I'm actually surprised that they've come out and said that if it's moved 50 kilometres, which as Gordon says is essentially if it gets moved at all, the menu gets changed, you get a refund. I think that's actually quite fair. Um, I was quite impressed with that. Um, my real fear, I've almost not been trying to think about it because if it does go down to a percentage, say it goes to 50% for Hamden, you're then virtually in another lottery as to whether you are allowed to go or not. I'm not sure how they're going to decide who, which tickets remain valid and which ones don't. Well, that- especially, especially bear in mind, Ben, that the, the tickets that have been sold to date are only the tickets that went through the UEFA ballot. I mean, each national association gets effectively a tranche of home tickets for each game. So the Scottish FA will have tickets to sell to Scotland's games. Those tickets haven't been sold yet. So effectively, the only Scotland fans are ones that were lucky enough in the ballot. But theoretically, not many Scotland fans have actually got tickets yet. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so that begs the question, though, will the national associations get tickets to sell? You know, are you selling tickets for seats that aren't actually going to be there? I mean, there's there's so many questions with it. But as we've as we've kind of alluded to before, I really don't see it being a hundred percent capacity. I just can't see the situation turning, you know, to 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 almost being totally clear of the virus. I can't see that happening by April May when they really have the final decision to make. So, as as Gordon says, and we are in the exact same boat. We are going to keep these tickets because, you know, this we have been waiting 22 years for this. But we're not we're not going to give these tickets up now if it gives us a chance of going. Um, but it certainly raised a lot of concern about you've gone from the euphoria of having the tickets and being able to go to now it's just it's basically back in the lottery again. Yeah. Gordon, is there an option for local fans only so people with tickets bought from UEFA should return them? And then if you want to go from uh, buying tickets from the local football association, that's an option. You can do it that way. So it's only home fans, I suppose, and, and nobody's travelling cross-country to watch football yeah, games. Well, certainly certainly that, that is one option that I've seen reported a few times. I've, I've, I've I tried to drop into the sort of the media reports from different countries around Europe just to see if anything was being reported any differently. And one option that I did see floated was the option of only having local supporters attending matches so long as you can attend, say, with, with, a, with proof of, of a negative COVID test. Now, I'm not entirely sure when they say local, does that then mean, does that mean the National, National Association tickets or does it just mean if you actually live locally? You know, and I guess if they did go down that route, that theoretically could benefit Scotland fans because obviously we've got two games at Hamden, two home games, Obviously, we all live around Glasgow. We are all what you would describe as local to Hamden. So that that could work out in Scotland fans' uh, benefit. It would probably mean we couldn't go to go to Wembley, but then then it would mean then yeah. So there, there'd be no fans travelling internationally. So you can almost see you could see that being a, a feasible option, really. But again, yeah. fifth of March, that's D-Day. You can see that being logical because then you're stopping thousands of fans moving between zones, moving between countries. Some countries are doing better than others. It, it removes all of that. So basically, however well each country is doing, that's the amount of people that they can have in that stadium. But say a country has done fantastically well and has very low levels, then it isn't right to keep the fans from that country away from their, from watching their team. Yeah. 
you know, it, it, could, be, it could be structured in a way that it's done by by a case by case basis. Yeah, and one thing, one thing, just to make abundantly clear, though, is that the decisions that are made on the fifth of March, the they are final to a point that they can't get any better. So, say if it was decided on the fifth of March that Hamden can only have fifty percent capacity, if the COVID numbers in Scotland then go down between March and June, we wouldn't then say, oh well, we'll have a hundred percent then. That could not happen, but it could work the other way that if we said fifty percent and then the COVID numbers go up in Scotland between March and June, they could say, okay, you can't have 50%, you can only have 33 or you're going behind closed doors. So that's just something to bear in mind that even though the 5th of March is a D-Day, it could still get taken away after that. There were comments this week or recently anyway from Bertie Votes, former Scotland manager, saying that he thinks the right thing to do is to postpone the tournament entirely and just cancel it. Um, because of the challenges uh, that are brought about because of coronavirus. Is that something that you think is a, an avenue worth exploring, Gordon? Well, I, look, Bertie Bowes, obviously, look, he, he's not got the best reputation in Scotland, obviously, for his time as Scotland manager. But you've got to bear in mind, this is a guy who, he, he's won this tournament, the European Championship, as a player and a manager. He's one of the very few people who have done that. He has a very... A large platform and profile on the continent, and um, so I think you know you have to take his opinion seriously. I, I think, I think the problem, the, the challenge I have is that you look around the big five leagues in Europe and you see more and more say players testing positive. You see games getting postponed. You can start to foresee a situation where if there's a real serious fixture pileup coming towards the end of the season, things could get quite political you know you think about the strength of the of power in uefa that the champions league clubs have and the big five leagues have are in europe i can very much see them coming to uefa and saying our leagues aren't finished yet we need more time you need to move this tournament for us and i think if uefa find themselves in a situation where countries like france england italy are saying we're not going to release our players to go to the euros because they're not finished their league seasons I think you could get a very, very ugly situation playing out across Europe. So I think it's something to something to look out for. Ben, that's obviously worst case scenario. Is it an anxiety that plays on your mind though? No, I, I honestly don't see a game cancelled, you know, outright. There's just there's far too much money and sponsorship and everything tied up in it. And I know he's saying that it won't be the same without the fans and that it should all be for the fans, which is absolutely right. But it's not the case, you know. Money is the main driver of this sport, and there's no way that the UEFA are going to give up, you know, the, the crown jewel that they have. Um, this is the last chance to do it, you know, because the, especially because the World Cup is early, you know, next year uh, in 2022. It, it's just they're, they're not going to cancel it if they have to take club, uh, countries away um, and put them in hotels and put them in bubbles and have it in one country. Then that's what they'll do. Um, but for me, I, I just can't see it being cancelled. And I, to be honest, I see, especially with us coming into the summer, I think the, the numbers are going to come down drastically, the case numbers, and especially with the vaccine being rolled out now. I think the numbers are only going to come down. So if anything, we should be in a better position. Well, we will be in a better position than we are now, um, definitely. So I, I, it'll, it will go ahead. It's just a matter of, is it the right time? to have it in a lot of different countries, which was when it was supposed to be so that all the fans could go, if it turns out that the fans can actually do it this time round. Is that a happy compromise then, Gordon? Is is the avenue and the option UEFA should be looking to go down, just shifting this to one country and forgetting about the cross-continent experience and the experiment? I mean, there, there are plenty of countries that, can, that could host this at a couple of weeks' notice, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Um, although I think, I think, I think probably the happiest compromise they could go for is just stick with the plan as it is. But as we said, if you just limit it purely to local fans, so then there's no travelling internationally at all for fans, because obviously we know how much international travel is a big risk for spreading coronavirus. So cut travel out completely. The only people travelling are the teams who would be travelling in private charter planes anyway. That would really be no different to them travelling for Champions League games. Um, and then you can still play out the tournament. And as we said, then it becomes sort of like 12 little mini case studies of 
how many fans can this city hold? How many fans can that city hold? And it's up to them to find out their best best option. But I I, I don't see. I mean, I, I ran a I ran a poll on the Tartan Scarf's Twitter during the week. I got about just over four hundred votes, and two thirds of people that voted preferred postponing the tournament until we can have one hundred percent capacity of fans. As much as I'd love to see that, I mean, you know, if you actually look at the European football calendar is such a complicated house of cards. I mean, frankly, it's a miracle they were able to postpone it by 12 months and still fit in all the leagues, all the, the domestic competitions, European competitions. I can't possibly see how they could postpone it any further. So I think I think we're going ahead. We're going ahead um, in June, but we'll just have to see what it looks like. I have to say, Gordon, I'm very surprised with the results of that poll. Two-thirds yeah. of people, that's, that's a landslide. It I is think it. from a fan's point of view, though, it's all about going to the games. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter to them. It, and you know, we can say from our point as well. You know, all that matters is that we could actually go to the games. So if you've got a chance that you could do it at another time, and you yeah. would be guaranteed to have a hundred percent capacity, then that's happy days. But that there's just not a space for it. There's there's nowhere for it to slot in before the World Cup, and no. the UEFA will not lose it. You know, this is their last chance to get it done. Oh, for sure. Look, look. If you're asking me what I would like to happen, yeah, of course, I would love. I would absolutely adore if they could postpone it. For then, it's 100% uh, capacity. You know, I was I was running some numbers the other day, and like, if it's 33% capacity at Hamden, that's like 15,000 people. I mean, we've spoken a lot of it in the past about the atmosphere at Hamden. If there's a low capacity, I mean, 15,000 people at Hamden for a game, it, it's not. It, it, it it's going to be so far away from the ideal scenario of what we dreamed watching Scotland at major finals would be of course we'd love to see it postponed but I just don't think it's realistic at all. I think if there's talk of or speculation and, and hope of it being postponed until stadiums can be filled 100% I think we would be looking until 2022 for that and we've got a World Cup that year to try and qualify for Yeah exactly and, and when, you, when you've got the Winter World Cup you've got leagues, I believe leagues will probably be trying to start early in the summer of 2022 because then they finish up sort of in middle of october and or beginning of november and then the world cup november december yeah it's that's going to be a really tough season <laughs> so try trying to fit a european championships before the season even starts oh goodness me because how, how, how do you even pick a date of when you can get 100 percent capacity back because yeah. even though we've got the vaccine you can't tell that coronavirus is going to be 100 percent dealt with at any given time in the future we don't know that yet so you can't say all right well we'll just have the euros next like december or whatever it just it's just not going to work well exactly well look at look at look at look at the scottish cup semi-finals obviously they they postponed the scottish cup semi-finals and final until later last year for the hope that they could have a capacity crowd and obviously it didn't play out that way so you're right you can hope things will be better but sometimes they won't be so yeah it's difficult how, uh, how do you guys prefer things to proceed then? Let's start with you, Ben. If, if you had to be, be realistic about it, what, what do you think is a, a fair way for the tournament to, to go ahead this summer? I, I think, as we've discussed, the local option. I think you take each country that's a host, that has a host city, you work out what the rate is, you work out, as Gordon was saying, you could pick the, the highest level that you think you can achieve, and if it has to come down, then it comes down. I have no idea what to do with the tickets. That's that's my main issue. It's just how how do you decide which fans get to go and which don't? If, could, if X amount of tickets are already sold, could end up with a a final then with England in it that only England fans are at because it's it's at Wembley, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. them's them's the breaks. That's it. You know that. Yeah. You know, judging at how the figures have been in London, it's yeah. not guaranteed that that would be a hundred percent. I'm almost certain it wouldn't be. But so, then, you know, but then imagine, imagine all of their crying faces as Andy Robertson lifts the trophy up. <laughs> 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 so what's your, what's your preference, Gordon? Yeah, oh, preference. If we remove our ideal best case scenario yeah. from the situation because it's we not try and be realistic happy. we try and be realistic. realistic how would you like to see things go ahead uh, yeah i mean realistically so long as the maximum number of scotland fans can get to our games at hand then that would be a good outcome 
And I think I think Ben's absolutely right that I think if you you're just talking about local fans going to games, no travelling, which means no big day out in London, Wembley, which is gutting for me because one of our best days as a member of Tartan Army was before that friendly uh, in Trafalgar Square all day, and I was really looking forward to an even better one. But this is it. You have to just you have to roll so, with it. So the Hamden Roar seal of approval goes towards return. The tickets that anyone has bought from UEFA, not advising you to do that if you have got a ticket, but don't bother with your UEFA certified ticket. Wait until the home nations associations have to, eh, not the home nations, sorry, the the, the host nations um, associations sell their own tickets and then try and get one from the SFA and you can qualify in your attendance as a local. Well, so what I mean, we need to, we, we need to clarify that is how local supporters in air quotes would actually work because I, I, I don't know that yet. I've only seen that theory floated as being I, I haven't seen any full definitions of what that means. So I, I think in in terms of what we're talking about about getting refunds, I think you should feel pretty safe in the knowledge that if if the game moves or if the capacity gets lowered and you can't go because you lose out, if you've got a ticket, you will get a refund. So I, I, I don't think I would be advising people to take refunds before the 26th of January, but if you do, that's your deadline. I think international associations are the ones that get to give the tickets out as well. They're the best placed in each country because they have a point system in place just like we do. So you're, if you're then said, right, you have X amount of tickets, then it's going to go to the top points holders and then all the way down you know, until they're sold out, as they are normally for like away games. So that's actually the fairest way that gets the the like biggest supporting fans that travel the most often the best chance of going. Yeah, it's a it's it's such a, a tricky situation to try and get your head around. What what did we do to deserve trying to figure all this out after after we were given the nations league to try and solve? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get we'll, we'll move on to. On the plane, then, lads. I think we've we've covered the current affairs there. Yeah. Um. So, the first episode, what we did was we broke it down into four sections. Who do we think is on the plane for the finals? Who's in the departure lounge? Who's waiting by their phone? And who's booking their own holiday? And then we divided each of those into apologies into their positions. Now, I had three goalkeepers on the plane for the last one, which were David Marshall, Craig Gordon and uh, John McLaughlin. Nothing's changed in, in that regard for me. Gordon, I believe that you have an amendment to your goalkeeping situation. Yes, I do. So I only had David Marshall fully on the plane. That situation hasn't changed yet. So, uh, one name that we didn't discuss last time that I've added into the departure lounge is Portsmouth's Craig McGillivray um, down in League One in EFL. Um, but He's, he's been doing pretty well, to be fair. Um, he's got nine clean sheets in 20 games this season. But something that really jumped out at me was that he's actually, he sat on the bench six times for Scotland under Steve Clark. So in terms of that third-choice goalkeeper position that we discussed last time, it's pretty much way out, up for grabs after, if you assume, Marshall and Gordon are in the squad. I wouldn't be surprised to see Craig McGillivray get that spot. Do you still have Robbie McCrory on the cusp? Because he's fallen right away at Levy. Yeah, I think he's probably dropped down. He was in my departure lounge. He's probably now sitting by the phone. He's hoping for a, a turnaround there at Livingston. Um, he's actually joined by the phone um, by, by Liam Kelly, um, obviously making the move this January from QPR up to Motherwell on loan. Um, he's really going to hope that getting some regular game time in the Premiership will catch Steve Clark's eye um, ahead, of, uh, ahead of March. Ben, how's your goalkeeper situation there? Any changes? Yeah, so I had Marshall and Gordon on the plane, and then I had the the young spot that I, I always think they attend. The third keeper is almost guaranteed not to play. It's so unlikely that both your keepers will get injured. So I would take a younger guy. Um, I had McCrory, uh, but I've pushed him back to the phone, and I've actually brought Liam Kelly in and put him straight into the departure lounge because I've been impressed. I was impressed with him really at Livy before he moved. Um, and since he's come back, and uh, he's done, he's done really well for Motherwell. And I think Clark will be looking at Prem players a lot. Um, I think he's he'll, he'll be one that he's aware of anyway. But yeah, I, I didn't realise that Kelly was actually still only 24. So you know, goalkeeping standards 
he's a boy. So yeah, I I think he and McCrory will maybe play it out. Um, but as you said, McCrory's maybe fallen out of favour a little bit. So that'll be an interesting one to see who gets that third spot. So John McLaughlin not featuring for either of you? No, no, no. I've got I've, I've got Bayna and McLaughlin by the phone. I, 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 I just feel like even even though we're talking about third choice goalkeeper who probably isn't going to play. If you're not playing regular club football, I just feel like you can't really be considered for international selection. Yep, it's a fair shout. Fair shout. I think that Kelly is, in my opinion, more likely to be in a departure lounge than McGilvery and McCrory. Yeah. Anyway, on to the defenders. We keep McTominay in centre defence for now, although there has been rumour that Steve Clark's going to try and go back to four at the back and utilise McTominay in midfield where he's performing for Man United now that's just speculation so we, let's just keep him in defence where he's been for the past four or five months for the time did being you hear, um, did you hear Martin Tyler at the weekend during the Manchester United Liverpool game oh, when uh, McTominay, yeah. McTominay was, was dropping deeper and deeper and making all these defensive clearances headers and then Martin Tyler sort of speculated himself oh I wonder if, uh, wonder if McTominay might play at centre back later in his career and I was like <laughs> Yeah, that's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, McTominay, for myself, is on the plane in central defence alongside Cooper, Gallagher and Tierney. Any advance on that? Yeah, so I've got Gallagher, Cooper, Robertson, Tierney and I had McTominay. But just speaking on McTominay, we've watched, he's just flourishing in midfield. You know, he, that is his natural position anyway, but... You know, if you've got a world-class midfielder, potentially world-class, you know, he's still young, why would you play him at centre-back? Especially when we have seen him make mistakes in defence. I know he can play with the ball at his feet, and I know he can come out and pass, but when we're up against Croatia and England, is is he going to get caught out? My gut feeling tells me that he is going to get caught out by a very quick, you know, experienced centre-forward or a winger. And... I'm not sure if it's maybe best to try and remedy that now in the World Cup qualifiers before the Euros when it's really the big time. So Ben, what about then, if you want McTominay pushed back into midfield uh, and say Scotland do push McTominay back into midfield but stick with the three at the back formation, is Jack Hendry someone that you think is getting shuffled up the pecking order that could maybe go in there as a more defensive-minded player but someone who is also decent with the ball at his feet. He was he was a bit of a, a figure of fun over here in, in the latter stages of stage of his Celtic career, but as Gordon knows, he's, he's doing really well out in Belgium, playing every game for uh, his side who are sitting quite comfortably in the table. I think he's he's been received warmly over in Belgium. Yeah, no, I've, I've moved him up. He's now on the phone. He was in the... Uh, oh, sorry, he was on the phone. He's now in the departure lounge. Oh, hold on. No, I think he was not anywhere. <laughs> We're getting muddled up. He was nowhere, and now he's on the phone. Because, yeah, all the reports are that he's doing really well. And, you know, he, you, don't, you don't play for Celtic if there's nothing about your game. Do you know, he's, he obviously has good technique. It's very hard to come in as a young centre-back. If you make a single mistake, you, it, can, it can carry around you, and it happens with the old firm quite a lot. If you make a mistake, you're kind of remembered for it, maybe more than at other clubs which is fair enough because of the size of the clubs, but there's obviously a good centre-back there. So I think he's definitely one to keep an eye on uh, because, as we know, we are not blessed with centre-backs. So we need to keep an eye on whichever options we might be able to get. Yeah, Gordon, what's your opinion on Hendry? Well, we're certainly... You're you're right, we're not blessed with centre-backs, but we're certainly not blessed with right-footed centre-backs. And Jack Hendry, he is that. He is that. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that it was only it was only three years ago. It was January two thousand eighteen that he signed from uh, Dundee to Celtic. You know, and it's probably that been that amount of time that he hasn't had regular, reliable football. You know, he went to Celtic. He sort of came in. He went out. He came in. Went out. He went on loan to Australia, where he got quite a serious knee ligament injury, and that curtailed that one early doors. And it's only now, since last summer, that he went to Belgium that he's actually been getting a regular run of football. And he seems to be absolutely flourishing over there. You know, the guy Byron Hutchison and the Scots Abroad pod, those two those two guys are excellent followers on Twitter, that they track all the Scotland players playing all around Europe. And Jack Hendry's name keeps coming up. You know, he's, he's playing every game in Belgium. He's not played for Scotland since 2018, but he's got three caps. So, 
yeah, in terms of a ball playing right foot centre back for that right centre back option, I think he's certainly top of the pecking order behind McDonnell. Yeah, I think that now Hendry is. Pro- I, I've still got him by the phone, <clears throat> but I think that he's very close to be to being included in that first reserve bracket. Where if there's an injury, he's one of the ones that just steps in. I think he's one of those guys that you can imagine Steve Clark would be quite keen to call him up in March, given that he'll, Clark will be allowed to call up a much bigger squad because it's a triple header. You'll be able to bring in guys that then just to get a good look at them in training and maybe maybe play them off the bench in one of the games. But I think he's one of the options that Clark will want to get a good look at on the training grounds for sure. And we've got the Ferrers as well, which is obviously a, a, a chance to maybe give some of the fringe guys an opportunity. Obviously, don't mess with the team too much, but yeah. that's an opportunity to give some of the younger guys a game. And you know, Clark's a good judge of character and a good judge of a player. He'll he'll work out pretty quickly if they're up to the scratch or not. And what about Scott McKenna? Doing pretty well down in Nottingham. For me, he's not quite a guaranteed pick. Is he in your mind, Ben? Um, I honestly can't. If you give me one second. I can't remember what stage I had him at last time. Yeah, I had him in the departure lounge, and I think that's probably about right. I think I think his experience, he's got caps already, and he, like you said, he's playing regularly. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, again, he's, he's not on the plane. I, there's quite a few centre-backs that are all kind of in the same position, and it might be time that Clark, maybe after the March, was just going to have to hang his hat on a couple and say, you know, you're the guys that we're, we're resting on. Gordon? Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that with uh, with McKenna. I think you're talking about McKenna for that, that sort of, in our system, in the centre-centre-back position, the sort of the, where Declan Gallagher's been playing, the guy who he needs to block everything, he needs to header everything clear, he just needs to be in the right place at the right time. I think McKenna, yeah, he, I believe he had an injury, but he came back from that around the festive period, so he's back in the Nottingham Forest squad. But someone else, actually, that I think he's sitting right next to in the departure lounge that, for me, when it comes to the Euro squad, it could be one or the other, is Grant Hanley. And it's someone that I know he takes a lot of stick, and he has done for Scotland. But, you know, this is a guy, he's still only 29 years old. He's Norwich City captain. He's playing, he missed the first four games of this season in the Championship. He's played every single game since for Norwich. Norwich are top of the league. They're winning tonight. They're going seven points clear at the top of the league. In terms of in the championship in terms of clearances per game which is exactly the stat that you're looking for for this center center back he's fourth in the league making five five and a half clearances per game so i mean grant hanley is a guy that and again he's got about 30 odd caps as well so i think it'll probably come down to mckenna or hanley for that reserve center back position behind gallagher i think right now i'd be going grant hanley coming into the games in march though ben given motherwell's sitting in the Scottish Premiership compared to Norwich's sitting in the English Championship. Is Gallagher's place under threat from Grant Hanley? I wouldn't say so because of how well he's played in the recent games. I think Clark's going to hang a lot on how well players have played for him in the shirt. And I don't really think Gallagher's put a foot wrong. So, And to be honest, I see Motherwell climbing right back up the league now that Alexander's come in and they've sort of, they seem to have already you know, started to improve. So I think he'll stay. I, I moved Hanley up to the departure lounge because, you know, it's it's hard to ignore what he's doing for Norwich. And yeah, again, maybe one that got a bit of a rough ride from the Scotland fans. He's not the most um, easy on the eye centre-back. But if you want someone to header or clear, then, you know, he, he is one that you can rely on to do that. Full-back position. I have moved someone from waiting by the phone up to the departure lounge but that could very much change when we find out the squad for the the qualifiers in March I've got Aaron Hickey now in the departure lounge I think that if he continues <clears throat> to perform to a good standard in Serie A it's, it's going to be pretty much uh, impossible to heavily consider him, Gordon yeah, I, I completely agree. I think I think Aaron Hickey is another one. He's another person that I flagged that I feel like he's maybe further away from the Euro squad right now. But if he's involved in March, he he will fly up the pecking order for me. And I think certainly the game time he's getting in Serie A can't be ignored. The fact that he's got the sort of two-footed versatility, he can play left wing back, right wing back. 
he brings a lot to it. I, I fully, fully expect him to be involved in March, and I, I, I do hope he is. Ben, is he still waiting by the phone for you, or worse, or better? No, I've got him up to the departure. I think, as as we're saying, you have to look at the league that they're playing in, especially for defenders. Serie A is obviously renowned, um, but again, he just keeps playing. I, I can't believe the amount of games that he's played since moving. I was I was really happy that he got that move, um, but I was I wasn't sure that he was going to play as much as he has, which is obviously a testament to how well he settled there, because there's not many Scots that go to the Serie A and break into a team that quickly yeah. and become a fan favourite so quickly. I think, so, he, I think he was certainly lucky. He, he was certainly lucky at first because I think when he first signed, at least one or two of the left-backs at the club were injured. So I think that path to the first team was sort of... He got that by default from day one, but then he's earned it and he hasn't let go of it. So I think you, you, have, to, you have to praise him for that. Fully yeah. believe, Gordon, fully believe that luck is a combination of preparation and opportunity. If, if that vacancy for left-back was there and if Hickey wasn't ready to take it, then he wouldn't have been playing. He's Come clearly... Someone got some motivational books for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you get to have to before, I'm just, I'm just an avid fan of the UK office, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, Hickey, and I, I was very much a, a Hickey cynic when he was over here. I wasn't sure um, just really what the, the fuss was all about. And to be honest, I've only seen clips of him over there but it's hard to ignore the the reports uh, and the way that he's being spoken about on Twitter so I'd very much like to see him involved uh, in the right wing back position when we come to the qualifiers in March yeah. probably not against Austria I don't think he'd be thrown right in from the start there against Austria um, and I think Stephen O'Donnell is quite has done enough to, to keep a hold of the jersey but over the next uh, games uh, after that Potentially against the Pharaohs, we might see him uh, given his debut. Yeah, uh, definitely. It was a similar situation to Robertson when he went to Liverpool. He had to wait for his chance for the left-back to get injured. But then when he did, that's when Robertson really stepped up and he was like, no, well, this is my spot now. So, like you say, it's a combination of luck that the, the opportunity comes up, but then you really have to have the skill and the talent and the drive to make it yours. And he, he appears to have done that. Totally. Um, I think it, it will be an interesting. I think O'Donnell is the number one right wing back, probably. And then Hickey could really start putting some pressure on Palmer, who's the other one I still have in the departure lounge. Yep. Moving into central midfield, we were pretty much uh, the same as far as I can remember. We had McGinn, Jack, McGregor uh, and Christie, I think, in central midfield. I also had Armstrong there. Um, yeah, I've put I've 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 put Armstrong on the plane now. I uh, I I wasn't convinced when we spoke last, um, but now I have no doubts at all. I mean, the guy look at look at the way Southampton play football this season. He's just signed a new contract, twenty twenty four. He's starting over three quarters of their games in the Premier League. He's chipping in with goals and assists. He's he's in the squad, no doubt. Never should have doubted him. Oh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's an absolute. He's just so silky. I, I absolutely love watching him play. I really. My only fear is that this system at the moment doesn't quite fit him. I'm not quite sure where he fits. Um, it, you know, ideally he'd probably be playing off off the wing, or you know, as the ten. I, I really hope we can get him involved because he is he is one of our best um, technical players. I think we have on the ball. Totally, and, and, and just and, and just think what you would do to sales of the Euro twenty twenty calendar as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Mister March. <laughs> now, I saw you putting a tweet up on your Tartan Scarf account, Gordon, having Billy Gilmore in the squad. Talk us through that. Yeah, he's on so, the plane for you. Well, this this is the funny thing. So he's not on the plane for me. So what I did last week was I, I sort of took our discussion from the last podcast, I turned it into an article as sort of a projection of where I saw the Euro squad being come June. And I just, I feel like, I feel like the trajectory that Billy Gilmore is on, he could well do it. You know, I mean, if he gets more and more minutes, I mean, every, every, every time you see a Chelsea squad get announced, if you go on Twitter, if you search Billy Gilmore's name, if he's not in the starting 11, Chelsea fans are absolutely livid, which says a lot about how they feel about him, you know, at the size of club that they're at. So I just think, 
whenever I see Billy Gilmore play, he is so unique. He has that sort of almost like Spanish ability that you saw from Xavi and Iniesta and their pomp, that whenever he takes the ball in, his first touch is always into space. So it looks like he's got all the time in the world to play his passes. And for me, watching Scotland footballers, I just think that's such a unique ability among the players we have. I feel like he had to be involved. I think for the purposes of this discussion, right now I've still got him by the phone. I think if he's in the squad in March, again, he's another guy that will fly up the pecking order for me. I've got Billy Gilmore in the departure lounge now, Ben. What do you think he's got to do at Chelsea to get him into the reckoning for Steve Clark? Do you think 10 and 15 minutes here and there is enough? Well, I've I've also bumped him up. I think I had him in the departure lounge before, but he's he's still, I, you know, he's uncapped at the moment. It's, you can't say he's on the plane. I know that's not what you were saying, Gordon, with that sort of projected one. But you, I totally get the the positive sort of just feeling about him, and it is it's true. He has that style, and his vision is passing. Everything about him just oozes class, and that's why someone like Chelsea have come in for him, and that's why he's doing so well for them. And again, you know, how many Scots have really gone down there, down to a club like Chelsea and, and broken through at this sort of age? So he has to be taken so seriously. You know, it's not just hype anymore. You know, this, this boy is a serious, serious footballer. And I would expect him to be in the squad. And I think I'm not, you know, as long as he keeps getting regular games for Chelsea, I think if he comes in and plays well for Scotland in March, then he'll be in. You know, I don't think Clark will have any hesitation to say that this boy is brilliant. He's maybe not going to start games at the at the Euros, but definitely have him in the squad. And it's a great option to come on off the bench if you need to create a goal, if you need to break a stubborn defence down. That's the kind of player you can turn to off the bench, like an Armstrong, to actually or try to make a difference. Or even, even Ben, I mean, if, if you're... If we're sitting in the 75th minute against the Czech Republic and then we're winning 1-0 and you just need to hold possession for 15 minutes, to bring a guy like Billy Kilmore on, like who, who does fairly rarely waste possession, yeah. is a great option to bring on as well. Yeah, 100%. I think if Billy Gilmore had been listed for a loan move this month, I think it would have guaranteed his inclusion in the March squad. Because I think he'd have been going to a team probably like Brighton or... Fulham or Crystal Palace or something like that and probably playing from the start most weeks or a team at the top end of the championship maybe even Hanley's Norwich so I think if he was going out to still at a good level and playing 90 minutes most weeks no doubt about it we would have we, we would be seeing him in the March squad for me now it's probably about 60-40 in favour of inclusion Yeah, I think, I think that's right I think certainly the hearing from reports around the club is that he, there's no chance he's going out on loan this month, which while in, in that from that perspective, Andy would, would maybe make him less likely to be included in March I think it speaks highly of how the club feel about him. I mean think how many clubs, how many how many players Chelsea have put out on loan over the years and how many of them have actually then come back to play a significant part in the club. So I think actually the fact that he's staying, even if it is for fewer minutes, is actually probably better for him in the long run than Chelsea. And he's also training with better players, which I think, yeah. you know, it's, if you're working every day with better players, then you're picking up from them and you're learning from them. And so I actually would rather he was in that environment at Chelsea where the standards are that high, the players are that good. You know, yeah. he's learning from them every day. And Clark, Clark will know all about that, obviously, from his Chelsea connections. So I, I really think he'll be in, in the squad for March. Well, because bear, bear in mind, I mean, there's, there's, there's really there's no rush at all either. Because bear in mind, he, he only turns 20 about three or four days before the Euro starts. So, I mean, he's still a teenager. Like, there, there really is no rush in this guy. Like, his development is it's on track. Let's, let's be here. Yeah. 100%. Another change on my end. I have a feeling that you two might have done something similar. Um, so, leaving the departure lounge to wait by the phone is John Fleck. And he's being replaced in the opposite direction by David Turnbull up to the departure lounge. Yep, Turnbull is well up into the departure lounge now. You know, similar to Armstrong, he's just a brilliant footballer. Ball at his feet, is passing, and he's also a really good goal threat, which I like about Turnbull. You know, he's scored a lot for Motherwell from midfield, and that could actually be really important for this team if we play with one up front. You know, you need your midfielders to chip in, and he has got a fantastic strike on him 
free kicks and just from edge of the box. And e- even getting into the box, I feel like he's getting better at that now. He's he's getting further forward for Celtic. Um, yeah, Turnbull is, is really close to me for actually breaking into to the squad. Gordon? Yeah, I completely agree. Certainly when I, when I put out that article last week, sort of projecting the squad, the one name that I got beaten over the head with more than any <laughs> on Twitter and Facebook was David Turnbull. Um, his, his form this season makes him impossible to ignore. Um, in what's been a pretty dark season for Celtic, he has been a bright spot. You still have to remember he's still only 21 years old. You know, he's, he's had a very, very serious injury already, but now he's come back and he's really hitting, hitting his top form again. You know, in, in his last seven league games, he's got four goals, including that phenomenal free kick against Hibs. Again, he's another guy uncapped for now, which makes him unlikely for the Euros as it stands. But if he's in that squad in March, his stock will rise through the roof and he could make himself un- un- undroppable for the Euros. One thing about David Turnbull, um, and you mentioned his age there, which is which is a positive. He's 21, Billy Gilmore's not even 20. That is quite a tasty combination there going forward in central midfield. Gilmore, certainly, as you alluded to, Gordon, is is more of a dictator, someone who keeps the tempo. What you alluded to there, Ben, I think, is is a vital quality of David Turnbull's. He's he's more of a match winner, somebody that can dig you out a hole and produce something from nothing in midfield for Scotland. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, we've seen I've seen him score a lot for Motherwell when I used to cover them, and all types of goals. You know, left foot volleys you know, long ranges with his right. And now he's starting to, I feel like he's bringing more that he's breaking into the box and picking up spots and, and finishing off from inside the area, which, you know, for a midfielder is brilliant. And I do feel that since he's come back from his injury, I think he's bulked up a little bit. He's still quite slight, but he's actually quite a tall lad. So he could actually be quite a physical presence as well. You know, good in the air, good at battling on the ball. So I, he's got so many strings to his bow term. But I've always been a big fanboy, but he's... I'm really pleased that he's finally getting a proper chance at Celtic. So John Fleck is the one that's gone down to buy the phone for me. He remains, or sorry, he is now beside Ryan Gold. I've not moved him up to departure lounge. I think by the phone is still suitable for him, Gordon. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, Ryan Gold was someone that I really wanted to speak about tonight. I mean, it, it, it does feel like he's been around forever, but he's still, he's still a really, really good age, you know. We're looking at where we are right now. We are arguably at the start of a new cycle. You know, we're just about to start a new World Cup qualifying campaign. If now isn't the time for Rangold, then I don't know when the time will ever be right for Rangold. I mean, I know people will have an image in their head about maybe what he did at Dundee United or what he looked like when he was on loan at Hibs. I, I don't know that that's necessarily fair. I mean, you look at... You look at how he's playing this season. So he's playing for Ferenczi, which are who are currently 16th out of 18 teams in the Portuguese top flight. So they are a struggling team. They're not doing that great. But he personally is actually having a phenomenal season. So he's played every game so far, played all 13 games. He's got four goals, four assists. He's got four Man of the Match awards so far. You know, the Portuguese top flight is a really, really tough league. In terms of, like, UEFA coefficient, it basically sits just right below the traditional big five powerhouse leagues. Now, there's a website that I use quite a lot called, uh, called whoscored.com. I'm sure a lot of you are very familiar with it. It's got all the all the stats you'll ever need on football. It's a nerd dream, so that's why I feel so at home there. Now, what they do is they've got a kind of a rating system. So they take kind of all the metrics for players and they collate them into one rating score out of 10. So right now, they've got Ryan Gold as the seventh best performing player in the Portuguese top flight. And the only players that are ranked ahead of him are from your traditional powerhouse clubs, Sporting, Benfica, Porto. So for a guy who's playing clearly at a low-ranked team, to be personally performing that highly, again, that's form you can't ignore. So could March be the time? You know, I, I, was, I was actually amazed to find out today he's only had one call-up to Scotland before, and that was for Euro 2016 qualifiers. But we played Georgia at home and Poland away under Gordon Strachan. Obviously, he didn't play. He's uncapped. Well, as I said, if if now isn't the time given his form and where he is, when will the time be for Rangold? If he is going to come into the squad for March and prove himself before the Euros bend, try and bump him up to the departure lounge or maybe even on the plane in a, in a wild scenario, whose place does he take? 
Is it is it Kenny McLean that maybe has to make way for him? Uh, John Fleck. I think this is the issue is that we are, we are actually stacked in centre mid as we always seem to have been at least over the last sort of decade. There's always been ample centre mids. I really really liked Gold when he came through, and I think we were all you know really excited at how you know he played that number ten role at Dundee United. But it's still marred by the loan spell that he had at Hibs for me, where he didn't look good enough for Hibs, and that was a real. It was just a real concern that right if you if you can't perform at that level, an international level is, you know, is is surely quite far away. I've not seen enough of him really to judge how he's done this season in Portugal, apart from seeing the stats that you know and and they are good. He's obviously performing really well. But the issue is, as you say, who do you take out? For me, Kenny McLean is a, a higher level than him in terms of his international caps, in terms of his experience. I think Clark likes McLean. He's a very tidy footballer. I'm, I'm not sure that Gold would be able to get past a Gilmore or a Turnbull in terms of being the creative midfielder that we maybe take. Because at the end of the day, our sentiments are pretty much nailed on. You know, for all of us, really, they're the ones that are the most on the plane. So, I would, I would like to see him get a chance, but I, I'm not. I don't expect it to be in March. Moving on to the attacking positions, then, I think that Lyndon Dykes and Ryan Fraser. I know he's not playing out his skin at Newcastle this season, but is probably on the plane. And so, Dykes and Fraser, anyone like to challenge that? No, that's exactly what I've got my forwards as as well. And for me, the forwards is, is still the one, you know, I've got Nisbet still by the phone, Shanklin still by the phone. I think they've still not totally grabbed, you know, the the limelight. I, you know, Shanklin's that absolute worldie that he scored, to be fair. You know, that shows that there's, there's still a really talented striker in there. I know he's not had the best season. Um, but yeah, for me, Nisbet and Shanklin are just they're just on the edge. They're not they're not firing their way into the the squad just yet. What about you, Gordon? Yeah, my forward situation it hasn't really changed from last time. So Lyndon Dykes is still the only forward that I've got sitting on the plane. Um, Ryan Fraser, I, I absolutely fully expect to be in the squad. I just think right now. He's still building his fitness. He's still building his minutes. Obviously, he got sent off last week, so he'll be sitting out for a couple of games. But I, I, I still fully expect that if he's fit and he's ready, Fraser will be in the squad, given what he brings. Beyond that, it's oh, it's absolutely wide open. Um, I think if there's if there's one position where just a great run, a purple patch of form can get you in the squad, it's in the forward position. I think if whoever's looking good, playing games, scoring goals when it comes to March, April, May, they'll be first in line to get in the in the Euro squad. Um, if I was hit over the head a lot last week with the name David Tumble from my article that I put out, Kevin Nisbet was the other name that I got battered over the head with repeatedly. Um, look, I have to give him some credit. He is top scorer in the Scottish Premiership right now. He's got 11 goals. He's alongside James Tavernier. You know, if that's a goal every two, every second game this season, that is an impressive record. And I, I was looking into his stats today. He has been on a constant upward trajectory in his career, which is, again, impressive. So 2018-19, he got 29 league goals in League One for Wraith Rovers. The season after that, he got 18 league goals in a shortened season with for Dunfermline in the Championship. Now he's made a step up to the Premiership, and again, he's hit double digits. Is that enough for inclusion in the Scotland squad? For me, still probably not. I mean, the standard of defences that he's playing against in the Scottish Premiership, obviously he's got a couple of goals against Celtic. The rest have come against, you know, Levy, St Mirren, Havel and Kelly. They're not the Czech Republic. They're not Croatia. They're not England. I mean, I would almost compare him to, you know, you look at the career trajectory that John McGinn took, for example. You know, he played in the Scottish Premiership. He did so well. He played in the Scottish Premiership. So he played Championship. He played Premiership. He impressed in both. He then goes to the English Championship, continues to impress, takes that step up. Now he's in the English Premier League. They love him. Everyone loves him. He's continued that career progression. Nismet has been on an upward trajectory. He's come a long way. He's still got a fair way to go, I think, in terms of convincing that he can score at the top level. You look at the players that have played up front for Scotland in recent years, Kenny Miller, Stephen Fletcher, they played at the highest level in Champions League, Europa League, Premier League. 
and even they still struggle to score goals for Scotland. So, yeah, it's a long-winded way of saying I appreciate the suggestion of Kevin but he's not in the squad for me just now. Not yet. Now, I have bumped someone down from the departure lounge to by the phone, Ollie McBurney. Um, I think that his record this season and his club's record this season could really go against them. Uh, last season, even though he didn't do so well for Scotland, he had the he was able to walk the walk, I suppose, because he's, he talks the talk, but he was able to walk the walk and say, look, I scored against Tottenham, I scored against Chelsea, I scored against Leicester, I scored against Man United. That's no, Those are no small feats. This season, he's playing in a, in a team that are struggling horrendously. And I don't think that he is likely to come on for Scotland because he's not a starter. I don't think he's likely to come on for Scotland and uh, be in the frame of mind to change a game in our favour if we need to. Yeah, for me, I have him kind of alongside Griffiths kind of in the departure lounge, but that's really because of the amount of caps they already have. Um, I still think Griffiths, if he if he can get on a run with Celtic, you know, absolutely, I would I could see him being there. Um, McBurney, as you say, it's, it's really hard to judge. I think strikers get hit the worst when a team is underperforming because they have so little chance, they have so few chances when a team is playing badly. But I know it is really hard to keep ignoring the fact that he is not scoring goals. And when you have a striker at international level, that is what you need. So I will, I'm going to keep him in the departure lounge for now. But it wouldn't surprise me to see him drop further down and potentially not actually make the Euros. Gordon, you've long since been a... You've had McBurney's back. How do you feel about him now? Yeah, I have. And, you know, it absolutely it breaks my heart to see what he's going through. I I can't disagree with anything you've just said there, Ben. Um, he is playing in a very struggling side, but he is also personally struggling a lot as well. And you just feel like... The club and him personally, they're stuck in this really horrible negative confidence cycle. I mean, I saw a stat about McBurney the other day that no striker in the Premier League has missed more what they define as big chances than any other player in the Premier League. So he's getting chances, he's getting decent chances, and he's not taking them, he's not scoring them. Now, conversely, you would like to think that if he can get one, if he can score one, that could be the start of turning it all around again. And by the time we get to March, April, May, he could be back in our favour. I think as it's going right now, with him not scoring, with him performing really poorly, uh, he's he's still in my departure lounge, but he's edging towards the door, I'm afraid. A couple of people I've spoken to that are involved in, in football are all convinced, I think that's it's three people, are, are all convinced that Ollie Burke will be in the squad for the Euros. Now, I've got him by the phone. Personally, I don't really think he's he's all that important to the team. Um, he's obviously absolutely rapid and uh, strong, but he's not a goal scorer, as we've just touched on. You, you want your attackers to be, to be scoring goals. Um, now, these people all think that Burke will be included because of his athleticism. Is that enough to justify... A pick, in your opinion, Gordon? No, I don't think so. But then I think it also depends on what you're looking for from the team as well. You know, we have also spoken about Clark will obviously be thinking that he needs to have a plan B, you know, and if he needs to go back to, say, the 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 with more traditional winners, you're going to need guys that can play out wide. So, again, that's where, you know, a guy like James Forrest, when he comes back, you know, I think that will play into his favour the need for a plan B. So perhaps maybe that's the thinking of, of bringing Ollie Burke in because, yeah, like like you said, in, in, in the current system and the way we play, I'm, I'm just not entirely sure where, where Burke fits into that. I think it is the athleticism. I think he is... It was kind of like when he moved um, to Forest. It was... It was the, the, I think it's the frame that people see, you know. He is a really big... He's a really big lad. He's a really strong lad, and he's really quick. And just looking at it, he's only 23. You know, I thought he would probably be older than that. And he's actually got 13 caps already, which again surprises me. I wouldn't have put him over 10, but he's got 13 caps, so he's actually fairly experienced for a 23-year-old. 
So I wonder if Clark will maybe take that into consideration. Yeah, but 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 then I, th I think you look at you know with some players you look at the, the number of miles on the on the clock I guess and Bobby Burke hasn't really had since he was at Nottingham Forest really early in his career he really hasn't had that consistent game time week after week after week to develop and to grow and he's played in so many different countries and I mean just that I guess it's no real surprise that he hasn't really fulfilled his expectation yet hopefully Sheffield United could be the place that he really he develops and grows as a player. So, but this is I think at 23, you know, it would be foolish to throw him on the scrapyard just yet because he's got so many years. You know, the, the frame's there. He's got a lot of attributes. If he can just nail down a position and nail down a, a, a starting place in a, in a decent team, then I think there is actually still hope for him in terms of a Scotland career. Yeah. Fair. Ole Buck fan club over here run by Ben Ramage. <laughs> Okay, um, I think that just about sums it up. Again, any players, guys, that we haven't touched on that you feel necessary to bring to the fore? No, I've, I've covered everyone Everyone I wanted to discuss. There was, there was a, a couple of players that, that I don't think are really involved yet, just yet, that were mentioned on Twitter. Somebody replied to, I put a tweet out just saying anyone you'd like to hear us discuss. Angus Gunn was mentioned again, but Clark, Steve Clark tried and failed to get him to commit uh, in mid-2019 just simply because he, he feels English, um, which, like, fair enough, he, he was born down there. Um, he's played for the England youth teams. That's where he sees his future. So it can't be grudged the guy for that. If he doesn't want to play for Scotland, then fine, it's OK. Um, so do you think that's worth going back to or just, just let him get on with it? I think, I think for me, probably best just to let him go on with it. I mean, I've I've spoken at length in the past about my advocacy for the eligibility rules. I think if the rules are there, you'd be cutting off your nose to spite your face if you just wanted to minimise the amount of players you can call up. Um, but look, if he feels English, then then great, then more power to him. I mean, look at a guy like a guy like Scott McTominay, for example, born in England, but absolutely without doubt feels a hundred percent Scottish, and you see what it means to him to play for Scotland, and that's exactly what you want in the squad. So, yeah, more than happy to let to pass him by. Ben, do we just need to bite the bullet on gun? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same, you know, similar to McTominay. Uh, I like what you did there. Obviously, uh, <laughs> obviously, I was born in England, but, you know, feel 100% Scottish. So, you know, I think everyone's allowed to decide, you know. You can't, you can't tell people how to feel and you can't push someone to play for the country that they don't want to. So, yeah, I think... Just to let that one go. The name Jay Fulton was floated into our mentions. He's doing well at Swansea at the moment, second in the English Championship, few man of the matches this season, just signed a new contract. Is there room for Jay Fulton in, in a conversation at the moment? Another centre midfielder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think so. I think put him on the midfielder pile. Yeah. Yeah. We'll stick, him on that, we'll stick him on that conveyor belt that's got about you know seven or eight people on it, and then whenever we need one, we'll just lucky dip and see who we get. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you actually, one, one player to keep your eye on that I had not actually realised was eligible for us is the winger at Everton, Anthony Gordon, who's only 19 years old, but he's got a few games for the first team. Um, he is born in England, but he's eligible for us through his grandparents. So something to, to keep an eye on as well. Okay, Hopefully Clark's got a little eye on him. Yeah. Hopefully Duncan Ferguson's got a wee eye on him. <laughs> Gordon, I've seen you getting involved uh, in chat about this guy on Twitter. Reading's Tom McIntyre, defender. Yeah, again, you tell us. Another another very interesting option. You know, he's got um, he's only twenty two years old. Um, he's got three caps for Scotland at under twenty one levels, including two games that he played when we when we beat I think it was the Czech Republic and San Marino in back to back home games. Uh, earlier in the season, he played in both those games. Um, he started Reading's last four league games in the championship. They're flying pretty high. They're sixth in the championship now. Although depressingly, two of those games he played were played at left back. So that's <laughs> exactly what we don't need. But in fairness, look, he's he's got eight starts this season. He's got eight more appearances off the bench. Um, again, you know, as we've discussed before, centre backs is a position that we really need to think think hard on. And the guy that's 22 years old, um, playing at a good level. Let's, let's let's keep him on the radar. 
Great. Now, someone else replied this. We'll, we'll end on this, asking about Robert Snodgrass. If he does well at West Brom, is it worth trying to coax him out of international retirement? I I don't think that that is uh, a, a success. I don't think it would be a successful consideration. Um, I think that Snodgrass has made his mind up, and from what I understand, although he's he's a very jovial and and happy go lucky guy on the cameras and stuff, I think that there's he's got a bit too much pride um, to to go back on what he's done. Um, so how do you guys feel about him? Yeah, it's kind of like a never go back. Um, you know, I, I just think he's made that decision. He's you know he's he's a really talented footballer, and I always loved watching him in a Scotland shirt. I thought you know he's a really talented boy, but I just think we've got enough creative sort of players. You know, Christie wise, would he actually be guaranteed to start? I'm not sure. I, I think it's probably best just to let that one lie. Yeah, I think I'd probably agree with that. I'm I'm not entirely sure he'd necessarily fit into the tactical system that we're running with right now. You know, is, is he going to do the same level of kind of pressing from the front that you'd expect from a Christie or a McGinn? Probably not. That's maybe not his style. Um, you're right. I, I think the decision was made at the time to step away from international football, which, which of course, we totally respect. Everyone's got their own personal and private reasons for making these decisions. As much as he is a very popular character and clearly was a popular character in the squad, I do wonder would that be a popular thing if if Clark did bring him in to the squad when he hadn't contributed to getting the squad to the Euros? You know, you wonder how that would go down. So I think Clark will want to stay true to the players that have gotten to the Euros in the first instance. So it's an interesting one. You know, there's also people have talked about Alan McGregor as well, another option that might want to unretire. But uh, I'm not holding my breath for any of those players. I think I think. I think their their times have probably coming on. Absolutely. So we'll come back then in a month's time towards the end of February. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe some some players will have, have had some injury issues. Maybe some will have moved clubs. Who knows? That that might they might change their standing in the way that we see things at the moment. Um, so next episode of on the plane then end of February, and then we can start taking a look at the the qualifiers mid March. Good stuff, lads. Perfect. Cheers, mate. Podcast Network.